Shadows of the Mind, Episode 2, Control. In the year 2232, the death of world-famous robotics mogul Damien Lawrence has shaken Manhattan. Damien's fiancé, brother, sister, business partner, their company's first creation, and a top-secret government squad will race against time to figure out who's to blame, because any of them could be the next to die. Derek was numb. When he'd arrived at work hours earlier, he'd expected to find his brother knee-deep in schematics for the next update to their Android line. He hadn't expected to find Damien slumped against the lobby doors, pale, two bloody holes in his chest. Derek? Derek, are you there? He did his best to blink away the image of his brother's body and focus on the voice of his sister. He glanced at the slim black cell phone resting on his desk. Sorry, he mumbled. Hard to focus. I know. Desi paused, and Derek heard the honking of car horns outside his sister's apartment across Manhattan. Do you want me to come down there? No, he said immediately. I can help. I, I know you want to help, Desi. I do, but I don't want you to see what this place looks like right now. Derek surveyed his desk. The computer he hadn't bothered to turn on, the family photo sitting beside it that had been taken during his father's first re-election campaign. What the hell would you do if you were here, he thought. He closed his eyes and rubbed the bridge of his nose. Senator Henry Lawrence had always known how to handle crises. Still, Derek doubted he would have known how to process the death of his eldest child. I need to do something, said Desi quietly. Please just, just give me some time to figure things out. When his voice came out as dry as sandpaper, Derek realized he hadn't had anything to eat or drink since he'd arrived. He hadn't left his chair since the police had told him he couldn't wait with his brother's body until the coroner arrived. He's been nearby my whole life, Derek had wanted to tell them. Why can't I just stay long enough to make sure he's taken care of? He always looked out for me. Have the police told you anything yet? Asked Desi. They haven't said a word since they checked on me about an hour ago. They offered to give me a ride home, but I... I'd rather be here right now. I feel like he'll walk in at any second. What am I supposed to do? Go sit on my couch and wait for things to start making sense again? Where's Lila? Derek looked back at his desk. And in the photo scroll beside his family portrait, he found the image of himself, standing with Damien, Eddie, and Lila. Her blonde hair was pulled neatly behind her head, and she smiled at the camera with an arm around each of the Lawrence brothers. Ravenna stood at the edge of the bed one hand hovering over the strap of the bag containing all the possessions that had originally traveled with her into the house. When she'd returned to Manhattan a year earlier, she'd had no plans to reconnect with anyone she'd known in childhood or adolescence, 
but fate had met her intention to abandon her past with a plan of its own. Damien had slipped back into her thoughts and into her life as effortlessly as smoke through an open window. The sound of her own breathing filled the air around her, rapid and heavy. She was not afraid. She was a trained killer, and she excelled at her trade. She was simply preparing herself for the completion of her task. She slipped out of the alley and into the half-lit street. It was late, but it was a Manhattan night. The street lamps and headlights of passing hover cars broke the shadows encroaching on the sidewalk. Ravenna slid her hand to the holster at her hip and felt the cold metal brush against her fingertips. There was safety in that touch, in the feeling of control over the situation that surged through her at the chill. It was the only kind of safety she had felt in almost 17 years. Her target was several yards in front of her, walking calmly toward his destination with absolutely no idea of what was to come. The client who wanted him dead had adhered to Ravenna's request for minimal information. The target's name was Vince, and he had committed many crimes in his 39 years of life. Apart from that, Ravenna had no desire to learn anything about him. It would not change her mind, and it would only serve to stick another knife into her already tortured soul. She slipped easily through the crowd, tightening her grip on the plasma gun at her side as she neared her mark. Only the two of them existed. Everyone else was an obstacle, an inconvenience. The muscles in her right hand flexed out of habit, and she prepared to remove the gun from its holster. Her heart pounded in her ears as she took her place immediately behind her target. She slipped the gun out of its resting place and concealed it within her palms until she and the man passed from beneath one of the lamps and returned to the cover of darkness. Ravenna positioned the weapon between her target's shoulder blades and fired without a second thought. The honk of a horn mercifully covered the sound of gunfire, and her target dropped to the pavement. In one quick movement, Ravenna turned and started at a brisk walk in the direction from which she had come. Someone slammed into her at a run, knocking her with a surprise uh, to the ground. Rage pulsed through Ravenna as she shoved herself reflexively up onto her elbows and turned her head toward the fleeing man, who was carrying a stolen purse. Her muscles coiled as she prepared to leap to her feet, and then a soft voice spoke from beside her. Let me give you a hand. With a frown, she turned to face the speaker, who was covered in the blackness of night, untouched by a lamp. She was slow to trust by nature, but she sensed sincerity in the speaker's willingness to help her. She sighed and offered a hand, which he took and helped her gently to her feet. Thank you, she mumbled. The shadow shifted as though he was nodding. There was a pause in which she stood there awkwardly with no idea what to say. She was spared the need. You look very familiar. Her frown returned, more deeply this time. I think you're mistaken. I don't live around here. No, I know I've seen you before. There was nothing accusing in his tone. He was processing her, trying to place her. He was being genuinely conversational with her, even kind. A passing pair of headlights caught his face, which was sharp and handsome, his eyes brown. Ravenna's heart squeezed, and she felt herself speak before she could strangle the word. Damien? Now, the tears she'd shed collapsed on the floor beside the telesense had dried, leaving the skin of her face feeling tight and worn. She didn't need to check the contents of the bag in front of her again to know that the gun was inside, ready to return to its work now that the only barrier that had kept Ravenna from her chosen path as a killer for hire had been stripped from her. It doesn't matter what you've done, whispered Damien's voice at the back of her mind, calling to her from a night several months previously. 
when she'd confessed her perpetual fear that he would one day realize she was unworthy of his love. It doesn't mean that's who you are. You can leave it behind. And even if you don't, it won't change how I feel. It's all I have without you, she muttered. With a shake of her head, she reached for the bag, but she paused mid-movement as her phone buzzed from atop the comforter beside it. Ravenna let out a sigh at the sight of the name projected above the device. It was only a matter of time. She lifted the phone to her ear, and the voice on the other end spoke before she had the chance. Don't run. The police will want to search the house, and I don't want them finding me here when they do. I'm not going to ruin his name, Desi. Please, please just stay there until we can figure out what's happened. The voice of Desdemona Lawrence was strained, cracking at intervals through what Ravenna assumed were its owner's attempts at restraining herself from weeping. Ravenna knew Damien's sister had been difficult for him to manage in her teenage years. His role as sole guardian after the death of their parents, one for which he'd been unprepared, particularly while his career had demanded so much of his time. But Ravenna also knew that Damien had loved Desi fiercely, and that as petulant as she had been at times, Desi had felt the same way. She was certainly in need of someone to lean on at the moment, but Ravenna had no idea whether she herself could offer any form of support while trying to avoid shattering. Fine, she said quietly. For now, I'll find you soon and we can talk about... About what? She asked herself. What could possibly be said now to alleviate the pain either woman felt? And what could be done when the damage was irreparable? About him. Yeah, Ravenna nodded, though she knew Desi couldn't see her. As she ended the call, she turned away from the bag she'd packed and moved around to her side of the bed to lie down carefully her gaze fixed on the spot beside her where Damien should have been. Hey, watch it. What do you think you're doing? Sorry. The young woman averted her eyes from the man she had inadvertently run into on a crowded New York street. She knew she should be paying more attention to her path. That was the only thing she knew. She looked up at the pastel clouds as the sun fell over the skyline, and she let out a long sigh. She couldn't make sense of the blank space in her mind where her memory should be, which was now an endless, vacant canvas protected by an impenetrable wall. The more she focused on remembering, the greater the strain became. It was as though something was deliberately keeping her out of her own past. It infuriated her. Before walking through downtown Manhattan in the early hours of that July morning, she had no idea what she had done or who she was, apart from what she had learned from the silver bracelet dangling from her right wrist. The engraved plate between the bracelet's small central links read Lila. Apart from what must be her name, she had only one clue to the truth about her life, a deep, unshakable need to leave New York. Lila couldn't explain why she felt so strongly that she had to get out of the city, she only knew that the thought of staying longer than necessary chilled her to her core. Hey, sweetheart. The voice had come from her right, from down an alleyway shadowed by towering buildings and untouched by street lamps. Lila didn't look for the speaker, nor did she react. She continued to walk. After several seconds, it became obvious that she was being followed. She felt a presence close enough behind her to be unsettling, but not enough to draw the attention of passers-by. Where are you headed? It's none of your concern, she said flatly. I'm going there alone. 
Lila tuned into the people around her, and she felt that more than one of them was on her trail. Still, she didn't look at them. Her heart rate and pace remained even, and she wasn't the least bit afraid, though rationally she believed she should be. Whoever she really was, she realized that she had, at least, not been a coward. Someone laughed. The voice was different this time. <laughs> alone? Why would a pretty girl like you be all alone on a night like this? She tensed instinctively as a hand grabbed her shoulder, and at this she stopped walking. Don't touch me. Another laugh sounded from behind her. <laughs> Why not? Gonna do something about it? You look like you've got money, sweetheart. Let's have a look at you. A second hand grabbed her, followed by a third. The first still had a grip on her shoulder and the others restrained her arms. As one, they pulled her roughly backward. Lila reacted on reflex. She pulled her right arm free and in one fluid motion formed a fist and sank it into the gut of the man restraining her left arm. In the same movement, she kicked back with her left leg, knocking someone else's feet out from under him. She grabbed the arm of another, holding it with one hand and bringing the other down on it swiftly. Beneath her hand, she heard a sickening snap. The man cried out in pain. He exchanged an incredulous glance with another from his group. Someone grabbed her left arm again. She reached behind her without looking to see which of the men it was and pulled him forward, ducking as he flew over her head and landed on the street, his arm bending unnaturally beneath him. Now, terror was etched into each of their faces. Two of them bent down to help their fallen counterpart stand. They pulled him to his feet and supported him. Then they all ran, scattering like roaches as they fled. She counted them in their retreat, and she saw that she had fought off five assailants. She turned away and continued walking. They were terrified of me, Lila thought. She bit her lip and replayed the scene in her mind, and she realized just how unlikely it was for her to have been able to defend herself so skillfully against so many people. I think I'm terrified of myself. She shook her head, positively clueless about what to do next. More than anything else, she needed privacy and a place to think, to collect herself and evaluate her predicament. She looked up and scanned the street, and her eyes fell on a large hotel a few buildings away. If nothing else, she could find a place to sit in the lobby until she had made a greater decision on what to do with herself. Lila reached the building and passed through the sliding glass doors that automatically allowed her entrance. Her eyes adjusted rapidly to the artificial lights, and she took in her surroundings. Pristine white chairs and chaise lined the walls, and three silver chandeliers hung from the arched ceiling. A receptionist with her hair pulled back in a tight bun smiled and waved to Lila from the desk at the opposite end of the room. This place felt startlingly familiar. Lila looked down into the marble floor and she saw her reflection. Her roadside brawl had left no evidence. Her blonde hair had fallen perfectly around her face once more, her face which had not flushed a bit from the effort. She started for a chaise, planning to rest for a few minutes and devise a plan, but the receptionist beckoned to her. Confused, Lila crossed the lobby to the desk where the woman sat, still smiling. Welcome back, ma'am, Lila blinked. Maybe if I just play along, she thought, I'll figure it out. Thank you, she said, forcing herself to return the receptionist's smile with one she hoped was convincing enough. The woman nodded. Your key? She removed a card from behind the desk, passed it to Lila, stood, and motioned for Lila to follow her as she walked toward a door behind her and to the left. Thoroughly lost but feigning control of the situation, Lila followed as the receptionist led her down a spotless white hallway into an elevator at the other end. Lila entered and refused to breathe until the doors had closed, separating her from the woman. A million questions buzzed through Lila's mind as the elevator rose. 
She glanced down at the card in her hand. 1501 was emblazoned in sharp blue script on one side and beneath it was her name. The elevator came to a halt on the 15th floor, and Lila glanced at the room number she passed until she reached 1501. She scanned the card through the panel on the door's right side, which also bore a keypad and a thumbprint scanner. When the lock clicked, Lila turned the glass doorknob and stepped into the room. Welcome, Lila, said an automated voice from the door's control panel. Lila's jaw dropped. She stood at the entrance to a suite. The furniture was extravagant and made of white, polished wood. On the opposite wall, the fading sunlight of dusk streamed in the glass balcony door. In the muted reddish light, the golden satin bedclothes shimmered. The wardrobe door hung open and Lila realized that it was fully stocked. She took a step forward and closed the door behind her. Incredibly uneasy, she crept toward the bed and sat on its edge. Okay. She knew me, Lila thought. That's several steps ahead of where I am right now. Lila shook her head, leaning backward. She would have time to think when she woke. She hadn't slept in... Frankly, she had no idea how long. The first thing she remembered was walking the city streets before dawn had broken. How she had ended up there remained unclear, as did why, and in the intervening hours she'd been unable to learn anything apart from her name. Sleep did not elude her, as she had feared it would. In a matter of moments, her mind had drifted far away from the hotel and into a comfortable blackness. Here, drink this. I remember it used to calm you down. Derek handed the mug of tea to his sister, who took it absently and stared down into its brown ripples. Desi tucked a strand of her dark blonde hair behind her ear and gave a half-hearted attempt at a smile. I know calm isn't really an option right now, but I thought it might help. Thank you. She sighed and looked away, her blue eyes unfocused. Derek had no idea what to say to her. Desi was 24, six years younger than Derek, and seven years younger than Damien. She resembled both of them greatly, and she had proven on more than one occasion that she possessed their determination and strong will. She'd acquired a minor in robotics technology upon attending college, purely to prove to her brothers that she could succeed in their field of choice if she'd had the inclination. No matter how resilient either of them was, Desi and Derek had been thoroughly unprepared for today. The two of them were no strangers to loss. Eight years earlier, their parents had been taken away from them by an accident on a return trip from Albany. The siblings had all handled the pain in different ways. Damien had taken charge of the family, gaining custody of a then 16-year-old Desi and moving back into their parents' home to avoid changing her life any more than necessary. Desi had rebelled against Damien's attempted authority and turned to partying to prove that she could make her own choices. Damien had allowed much of this, intervening when necessary, but allowing her to deal with things in her own way. Derek had never given much thought to his sister's behavior. It was just who she was as far as he was concerned. He, on the other hand, had buried himself in his work, striving for new paths in robotics that would lead him away from his own pain. This had included a short-lived, very secret project that he had undertaken with Damien and Eddie involving preserving human memories in other forms after death. It just doesn't seem real. Desi's voice pulled Derek from his thoughts. I know, Desi. He slipped an arm around her shoulders and pulled her close, careful not to jostle her tea. 
They sat in silence for several moments before he spoke again. I wish I had been there. If I hadn't been at that stupid conference, I might have- Don't you dare think that! Desi looked up into her brother's eyes, then, with tears shining in her own and an edge to her voice that he could not identify. Don't you dare blame yourself, Derek. There was nothing you could have done. Even if you'd been in New York, who's to say you would have been at work? She closed her eyes and took a deep breath. None of this is even close to your fault. Stunned by her outburst, Derek paused. Okay, he said at last. He knew rationally that she was right, but he could not escape the guilt that had seized his mind. At the sound of a knock on the front door, Derek tensed. He exchanged glances with Desi and slid to his feet, crossing the room in a few strides. Yes, he called. Normally he would have answered without question, but with Damien's broken body still burned into his mind, he needed to be cautious. It's Captain Scott Ryder, Mr. Lawrence, NYPD. Derek rolled his shoulders backward and opened the door. On the other side stood a uniformed man with graying brown hair and the name Captain Scott Ryder emblazoned on his chest. His mouth was pressed into a tight line. Sorry to bother you at home. Ryder cleared his throat and continued. <clears throat> there's a there's a new development in your brother's case. Derek's stomach plummeted. Come in, please. He stepped back to allow Ryder to enter and then closed the door. Ryder inclined his head to Desi. Miss Lawrence? He said. Sorry for your loss. Thank you. Desi muttered. Ryder turned to Derek with his brows drawn apologetically. You may want to have a seat, sir. What I have to show you is not easy to handle. Derek pulled in a long breath and sat beside his sister, who still clutched her mug tightly between her palms, with her fingers splayed out around it. Ryder cleared his throat once more. <coughs> your company's security system recorded your brother's attack. In the silence following Ryder's words, Derek could almost hear his blood thundering through his veins. Show me, he said. Please. Desi elbowed him hard in the ribs, and he let out a hiss. What the hell are you doing? She whispered. You really think you can handle that? That I can handle that? You don't have to watch. I'll tell you what I learned. I'm not going anywhere. Derek studied the determination in her puffy eyes and gave a short nod as he turned back to Ryder. Show us, he said. Ryder produced his phone from his pocket and flicked it in the direction of the telesense set into the wall in front of where Derek and Desi sat. The screen was immediately overtaken by the main lobby of LDE's Manhattan building. The chandelier that brought life to the immense lobby during the day was dim, shrouding the foreground of the video in blackness. The back of the room was partially illuminated by a light from down the hall. As Derek watched, the light was interrupted by a shadow that grew rapidly larger as it moved toward the camera. When the figure came into view, only enough light touched the figure's outline to make it clearly that of a man. A dim red light flashed from somewhere in the video's foreground. Derek knew it meant the building was on lockdown. The security protocol had been activated, and no one would be able to get in or out until it was disabled. The figure launched himself over the security desk. In the split second he was airborne, the light caught him at just the right angle to allow Derek to see his face. The man on the screen had light brown hair and eyes a few shades darker, and his face was lined with fear. The face Derek had known since childhood, but would never see again. Derek's attention was arrested by the emergence of a second shadow from the hallway at the rear of the lobby. He gasped. 
The woman moved with the fluidity and confidence until she reached the lobby, where she froze and rather unsteadily raised her arms. It was difficult to tell for certain in the low light, but Derek thought he saw the smooth outline of a plasma gun in her hands. Caught by the glow of the street lamps, Damien was easier to see. While it had been unclear whether the woman was holding a gun, it was easy to see that Damien had found one. The weapon's silver barrel projected the lamp's glare back at the camera, and Derek squinted through it. On the screen, Damien launched himself at the row of glass doors at the front of the lobby and pulled on them to no avail. Desperately, he fired three shots at the glass, but each time the plasma ricocheted uselessly and scorched a black mark on the polished marble floor. Damien turned back toward his pursuer, his hands raised in a gesture of pleading. Another gunshot rang through the lobby. No! cried Derek. Damien fell to the ground, slumped against the door. The woman took a few halting steps forward and fired again. There was silence. Upon her movement, her face had become visible. The pale skin, the sharp lines of her cheeks and jaw, the long blonde hair. I'm hallucinating, thought Derek. Pause it and zoom in, he demanded. His voice was low and dangerous, and he couldn't bring himself to care that he was giving orders to a police officer. He turned his head long enough to watch Ryder tap the screen of his phone, and then redirected his focus to the telesense. It's her. It can't be her. He would have known those pale blue eyes anywhere. Her expression was a distraught blend of alarm and pain, sadness and fury. That's impossible. The whisper hung in the air long after Derek had spoken. It is, said Desi at last. How could she turn on him? Derek finally brought himself to face his sister, who stared at the screen with a look that suggested her world had just been ripped from her grasp. Lila isn't capable of something like this, said Derek. He shook his head, but his gesture lacked conviction. He had to deny what he had seen, though rashly he knew it couldn't be disputed. You saw her, Derek, Desi insisted. You watched it happen. Ryder reached out and placed a comforting hand on Derek's shoulder. I'm so sorry. Derek watched the unmoving display for a moment longer and then shook his head, returning his focus to the captain. I need some air, he said. He pulled himself to his feet and strode out onto the balcony without another word. The president will see you now. Thank you. Rachel inclined her head to the secretary, who held open the door to the Oval Office. Here goes nothing. She stepped inside, and the door whispered closed behind her. Rachel knew this room far too well. For eight years, it had been her mother's office. This building had been her home. Now, it belonged to the man who had been the U.S. Secretary of Defense in her mother's cabinet. The curtains were drawn, save a sliver, where he stood, looking out the window onto the lawn. The sparse amount of light entering the room gave it a distinctly eerier feeling than it had possessed in Rachel's childhood. I trust the situation has been taken care of. Rachel bit her lip. Not yet, Mr. President. We're working on it. We've been trying to find her for the last month since her last trial at West Point. Trying and doing are two different things, Rachel. I understand that, sir. We're doing the best we can. Well, your best. 
He slammed his palm against the wall just beside the window frame. Rachel flinched. Isn't good enough. He turned to face her, and she studied him apprehensively. Ethan McNair had a commanding presence. He had silver hair that had once been dark, and cold gray eyes that bored into Rachel's. You disappoint me. I give you one task. One. To perform before your little division is disbanded permanently, and you couldn't even do that. I'm sorry. She tried to keep her voice even, devoid of emotion, letting him see how much hearing the division spoken of in such a way stung her would be a mistake. McNair had opposed the division since its inception. Wars are meant to be fought by humans, he had said, not by machines. Though Rachel's mother had tried to explain that what the division was doing was for the good of humanity, he had wanted no part in it. He'd been trying to disband the organization ever since, and now that he held the nation's highest office, he was on track to succeed. After Mia was apprehended, the division would be abolished for good. As the organization's current leader, Rachel was the one designated to incur McNair's fury until their final mission succeeded. I'm not your mother, Rachel. I won't stand by and idly watch as that organization makes a mockery of everything this nation stands for. I won't allow such foolish practices to continue. With all due respect, sir, Rachel spat, I'm not my mother either, and I won't be pushed around by you. We will find the android, be assured of that. If you'll excuse me, I have business elsewhere. Without another word, she turned away and pushed open the door. As soon as she'd entered the lobby outside, and the door had closed behind her, she heard her cousin's voice. How angry is he? Rachel knew Kat must have arrived just after she herself had. She doubted whatever McNair had planned for the head of the division's most decorated special operations team was any kinder than what she'd witnessed, but he'd always seemed to hate Kat slightly less than he did her cousin. Rachel surveyed Kat. Her hair was close-cropped, but of a similar red, and she looked out of place in a pencil skirt and a tan blazer. Kat had joined the army after college and entered as an officer, but she'd requested a transfer to Rachel's command upon realizing how dire the situation had become. Rachel trusted no one more to help her with the mission she'd been assigned. One, two, nuclear war, said Kat. Rachel gave a small, tight smile. I don't think he's quite ready to push the red button yet. If he does, it'll be a concentrated strike on me. I'll make sure he doesn't bring the rest of you down, too. Good luck with that one. Rachel raised her eyes first to the secretary seated at her desk, ignoring them, and then to the three people standing several paces behind her cousin. She'd come to know the members of Kat's unit, Blue Team, well over the last few years. Casey O'Malley, a wiry, dark-skinned brunette with a sharp tongue and a wasp tattooed on the side of her neck, stood beside Charlie Vela, a young woman whose paleness was in stark contrast to her perpetually black wardrobe. Standing between the two was former Air Force pilot Lex Knight, who had spoken. He scratched at his burgeoning beard. I hope you don't honestly think we'd let you take the fall by yourself, Rachel. Lex continued. That's not what we do. Rachel gave a noncommittal shrug. She believed him, but she would deny that support if given the choice. The division was her burden to bear. Without her, the rest of these agents would still be living the lives they'd known before being recruited, and they would be much safer. No, Rachel hadn't created the division, but she felt as responsible for it as though she had. Thanks, Lex. She pulled in a deep breath and released it. 
And I explained to him this morning that we have no proof she was actually involved in Damien Lawrence's death. We have our suspicions, and that's about it. She's still flying under the radar, and I don't think we'll find her until she wants to be found. That said, your mission still stands. If you find her, bring her back to base. If that isn't possible, destroy her. Understood. Kat nodded firmly. It took Ravenna several seconds of stunned silence to process that the face before her did not belong to Damien. The woman's hair was of a lighter shade, and her features were feminine, but the resemblance she bore to her brother knocked the breath from Ravenna's lungs. I'm so glad you're here, said Desi. Please, come in. Desi took Ravenna's arm carefully and led her into the apartment, closing the door behind them. Ravenna glanced around the room with detached aversion to the pale colors adorning the space. The walls were covered by a paper of light tan in contrast with the chrome exterior of the building, and Desi's furniture was almost all white. Ravenna's black clothing and hair nearly as dark made her stand out like a solitary splash of paint in an otherwise unspoiled canvas. She caught a glimpse of her reflection in the mirror on the wall, and her face was even more drawn than she remembered, her eyes lined with heavy circles. I know I probably should have waited until morning, said Desi, but I couldn't. It's not like you interrupted anything. Ravenna blinked and turned away from her reflection, directing her attention instead to Desi, who watched her with sad eyes and fiddled absently with the sash of her silk robe. Desi, nothing is going to make things right again. I know you're going to try, and I appreciate it, but don't waste your breath. Desi sighed. I called you because, while I know you're right about that, I think I have something that comes as close to a solution as we could ask for. Before I explain, though, I want to ask you something. She slid onto a hovering stool at the breakfast bar and patted the seat beside her. When Ravenna had taken the stool, Desi continued. When was the last time you accepted an offer involving someone's apprehension? Ravenna frowned and folded her arms across her chest. Why are you asking me that? I promise I'll explain. Just answer me, please. With the tight shake of her head, Ravenna sidestepped the question. I don't do that anymore. Yes, her immediate reaction to losing Damien had been to consider returning to her abandoned source of income, but she had no intention of admitting as much to Desi. Not yet. She had no desire to voice aloud exactly how far she was willing to go to distract herself from the pain that had settled over her like an ever-present lead blanket, hindering her movements and the clarity of her thoughts. What if I told you I knew who killed him? Several seconds of silence passed before Ravenna's mind registered the pain her fingernails were causing as they dug into the skin of her arms. She forced them to relax and clasped her hands in her lap to avoid causing herself further damage before speaking. I would sincerely hope you wouldn't joke with me about that. Ray, you know I'm not joking. If I didn't have a good reason, I wouldn't have called you at this time of night, especially now. I wouldn't add to what you're already going through unless I thought it was completely necessary. Now please answer my question. If I told you I knew who was responsible, would you reconsider your retirement? Desi, if you had even the smallest hint pointing to someone with a millionth of a chance at guilt, I would chase them to the end of this earth and make them suffer. Desi blinked. After an instant's pause, she nodded. That's how I hoped you'd feel. Before I say anything about what I know, I need you to make me a promise. Ravenna's eyes narrowed. I never ask for much information about the promises I have to make, she said. But that's vague, even for me. Just promise you won't kill her. The words had seemed to bubble over, spilling from Desi as though she'd been waiting to say them since Ravenna had arrived. They hung in the air, awaiting a response, but ominously precluding one at the same time. Ravenna's mind fought to process the implications behind Desi's plea, but she had to ask. 
What her are you talking about? Desi closed her eyes and took a deep, shaky breath. She could have passed for a woman at prayer. Lila. Instantly, Ravenna was on her feet, her stool displaced and wobbling unsteadily a few inches above the carpet. Her hands balled into fists, her teeth clenched, and her eyes were filled with unbridled fury. How could she? That- Ravenna! Desi cried in alarm. Please, promise me you'll bring her back to us alive. If she dies, it would destroy Derek. Ravenna inhaled deeply. Fine, I'll do my best to avoid ripping her to pieces. But even if I do, you never asked me to. Nor did you know that I was planning to look for her. Desi's eyes welled with tears, and she leapt to her feet and threw her arms around Ravenna. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ray. I don't know how I'll ever be able to repay you for this. You already have. Ravenna allowed herself to be embraced for a few moments longer, and then made her way to the door without another word, leaving Desi to her empty apartment. As Ravenna started down the hallway, she savored the resurgence of a kind of resolve she had not felt in years. Lila had better pray I don't find her. If I do, there will be hell to pay. Thank you.